Hello, welcome to our podcast. We've entitled it The Book because it's about the book, the most important book that there is. I will be your host. My name is Scott Moffat, and I will be joined by Gabriel Penfield and Gary Karwaski. I'd like to begin by sharing a little bit about ourselves. So let's begin with our youngest member, Gabe well, that's, Penfield. That's me, right? No. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. All right. Uh, I'm Gabe Penfield. Um, I live in Virginia. I've lived here for about seven years now. Um, I'm 18, just graduated college last year. Right now I'm attending Liberty University online um, just because that's the cheapest way to go. And I can pay my uh, way through as I work a full-time job. Um, my plan is to go into seminary after I graduate with my bachelor's next year. Um, my main seminary right now I'm looking at is Chafer Theological Seminary. That'll be online. So um, mm-hmm. won't be able to go in person with that, but it's good teaching, good teachers there. Um, so Right now, I'm still praying about it. That's the plan. It's Chafer Theological Seminary. But um, I do enjoy studying the word, God's word. I do enjoy teaching that. Um, I teach, starting teaching uh, middle school, um, Sunday school at our church. Um, I I attend a Tuesday night um, discipleship, um, soul winning time with a few friends um, at our church. Wednesday nights, I help out with Awana. Um, And I try to help out the church as much as possible. But um, I've been able to be discipled by my grandpa uh, Monday nights. Um, <laughs> yep. Scott Moffitt, my grandpa, um, been able to do that Monday nights. Um, so that, that's always a good opportunity. He's has a lot of experience. So I'm able to build off of that. Um, other than that, that pretty much describes me. Um, yep. I think that all, I have, a, stick- I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, you grew up in a Christian family. So how did you come to know the Lord? Were you just schmoozed into it? Did you go to church? Your whole, you probably were in church. The, what, the second week you were born or the first week you were born? How and when did you become a believer? Yeah, that's good. That's good. And for those listening, um, of if it's all like three people listening right now, <laughs> um, <laughs> stick with us. We're still, this is, we're new to this. It's the I'm first in. time we've recorded a podcast. Um, so stick with us. But um, yeah, my testimony, um, I was raised in the church, raised in the Bible from before I was born, <laughs> obviously. Um, Scott, my grandpa, he was a pastor for, how many years? Is it 30 years? Somewhere around there. Yeah. Around that. yeah. So obviously my mom attended the church. So I was in church from before I was born about six years old when I attended the WANA. Um, it, it all kind of clicked, made sense. Um, I accepted Jesus as my savior. I believed in that message. And because of that, I have eternal life. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. And because of that, I am saved. I can spend eternity in um, in God's presence. And uh, I'm joyful for that. And from six years on, six years old onwards, um, I mean, it was on and off, right? That sanctification process is, that's oftentimes the case where I read the Bible for a year, go off for a few years, read the Bible for a year. Um, it was about, it was at a camp called the wilds down in North Carolina um, when I was maybe 15, I want to say 15, um, where I kind of, it all, it, it made sense. Um, the sanctification process, right? reading the word, studying God's word, um, becoming more like Jesus. That's the most important thing. And I kind of realized that at 15 years old, where that's more important than doing whatever I want to do, whether it's watching TV, playing video games, spending time with just friends, talking about stupid stuff, right? That, that I can do that to a certain extent, but my main focus should be on the Lord, should be on pursuing Christ. And that's what I've been doing f- since I was 15 years old, um, of course, that's been on and off. I've never been perfect, but um, I've tried tried my best, um, continually improving. 
um, and we'll see where we go from here. All right. Well, we'll get into more of that as we go on. Gary, you want to share? Sure. Um, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a Catholic house and uh, I didn't know anything about Jesus Christ as savior in, in my life. I actually went to school to become a pharmacist. And uh, I actually did that work for a little over 10 years. In the process of that, though, I did come to know Jesus as my Savior. And that just turned my entire life around. I uh, was, started serving in a, in a church that I got saved in, in the youth ministry. I started getting interested in the, in the Bible, of all things. And uh, uh, I decided to go to Moody Bible Institute for one year. And that's where I met Scott Moffitt. It was many, many years ago, eh? And uh, after that, I decided I wanted to go on to seminary. So I chose uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, and uh, I went there, got my master's degree. Scott was there with me at, as well at the, during that time. And uh, then I returned to Dallas Seminary a little later to get my doctor of ministry degree. And uh, Scott did that as well. Uh, I've been in ministry, full-time church ministry, for 35 years I've served in four different churches in three different states, and I'm currently in the church that actually I founded in 2005 called Cornerstone Community Church. We're in Brookfield, Illinois, and uh, we're, we're still at it since uh, 2005. So uh, that's kind of a, just a brief thing. Uh, my interests, are, of course, are Bible teaching, uh, music. Uh, I'm hoping to finish well, like the Apostle Paul, and I am a news freak. Well, a little bit about me. Uh, like Gary said, we both attended Dallas Seminary together and Moody Bible Institute, and we both have THMs and DMINs from Dallas. And I also pastored several churches in several different states, um, Kansas, Vermont, Ohio, Washington State, and recently in Virginia. My greatest interests are free grace theology, evangelism, discipleship, and my life today is as a retired pastor. And so it's filled with family. And it used to be watching Chicago sports teams until recently with all the events and the news as Gary's uh, alluded to. But I didn't grow up in a Christian family either. Uh, I, I grew up in a home that had um, three brothers and myself and my mom and dad sent us off to the local churches for the youth ministries. And when I went to uh, a local church in Chicago and then in Prospect Heights, Illinois, I was introduced to Jesus Christ through their youth programs. Uh, first, it was Pioneer Clubs, then Awana, and that really changed my life. Not at the moment that I trusted Christ in 1963, but later on as an adult and um, a married man when I thought about all the difficulties in life that we were having together in marriage and decided that we needed to go to church. And that's when we got back involved with Awana and it really changed our lives. Learning the Bible as you had to do in the Awana program. And then from there, it went to Moody and to Dallas and our focus has always been on the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Well, now that you know who we are, we'd like to share with you why we're doing this podcast in the first place. All three of us, I think I can speak for all of us, love the Bible. We love the scriptures and we love reading it and applying it to our lives. And we'd like to examine the Bible a little bit today, the word, the book, as we like to call it, and why it really matters in your life as well as ours. So how about a quick overview of what the 
Bible is in its details. Gary, you want to share us a little bit about uh, the details of the Bible? Uh, for example, how long did it take to be written and who wrote it and so on? Yeah, um, the Bible was written over about a 1,500-year span by as many as 40 different authors. It started being written about 1400 BC, continued on, and was completed in about 90 AD. And uh, those who penned it were all unique persons. Uh, God used human beings to write his word. God is the ultimate author, but he used man to uh, be able to put a, a special book together that is like none other. Um, we have absolute assurance. In fact, I just preached on this last last Sunday. First of all, I'm from reading from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. It says, mm -hmm. but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so I just spoke on that last Sunday. It's a, it's a unique God-man book, just the way like Jesus Christ is the unique uh, God-man as well. Same kind of a situation. So out there in the world, you'll hear people say, well, I don't attend church because it's just a book written by, by men, written you know, with uh, different points of view, and they have all sorts of different things taking place in the Bible. You have uh, in the Old Testament, you have a lot of killing of innocent people, supposedly. And uh, in the Bible, you, in the New Testament, you have Jesus is presented as sort of a failed savior and that he dies. And a lot of people reject him because they don't believe the Bible is really what it claims to be, which is a, a divine book. So how do you view the agency by which, I know you've spoken it a little bit there, uh, was it by human agency or divine empowerment through the Holy Spirit, as you talked about? How did that come about? Gabe, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, we already mentioned that the Bible was written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors, and that alone speaks to how it wasn't divine empowerment that how the Bible came to be, right? The Bible wasn't written by humans, because if it was written by humans, there'd be mistakes, just like any other book, whether it's a fiction book, um, a real book, uh, biography, whatever, there's always going to be mistakes in the book unless it's written by God. Um, take the Origins of Species by Charles Darwin. You can take a Google search or whatever search engine you use and see how many mistakes are in the Origin of Species, right? Even today in 2020, 2021, um, there's been thousands of revisions to the Origins of Species, right? And then you have the Bible that's never had any revisions, right? The Greek manuscripts, the original Hebrew, Arabic, um, it's original, right? We've never changed it. Yes, we've turned it into English, but we've always based it off of the original manuscripts written 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, which, I mean, no contradictions, no mistakes. That speaks to how it was um, written by God, how it was inspired by God, right? I know, um, Grandpa, you use, I'm sure I referred to you as Grandpa or Scott. What do you think is better? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm just going to do Grandpa. Um, because that's that's what I'm used to. But um, you speak of how Second Timothy three sixteen speaks about the scripture as being God breathed, mm -hmm. right? And that speaks to um, being blown along blown along by the wind, right? In the sail, that's correct. In the same way, um, a sail, right? The wind. We can use that as a um, as a figure. analogy for God. Yeah, figure for God. Mm -hmm. um, the wind gives the general direction, but the sailors can obviously fine tune it. In a certain direction. In the same way, Paul's writings, James' writings, Moses' writings were inspired by God generally, but they also had their own, their own 
way of writing it, right? Paul had his own mm-hmm. style. James had his own style. In the same way, so it's can, written by God, but there's also fine tune. Let me ask you a question about that then. Is it by dictation that the authors are writing down what God is speaking to them in their heads or through clouds or, or fire? How did that happen? How did they write those words? And, and is every word that was written by the authors of the scriptures um, inspired? Or does God allow men to use their own influence? And in How did all that work? Yeah. And so I've looked at this in the past. Um, I wouldn't say I have a super, I'd say ultimately it is every word inspired by God, right? If you start getting down to, well, this word's not really inspired by God, but this word is, then you start, you don't know what's true, right? Half the Bible is true. Half of it's not. So every word's inspired by God. Um, and then what would, what was your other question in that regard? I don't know. I'm going to throw it over to Gary and see what he has to yeah. say. Well, let me throw something out as well too. What I said yeah, last please. Sunday, um, I think that one of the most amazing things about the scripture being written by 40 authors over 1500 years is how consistent, internally consistent the scriptures are. If you tried to put 40 people in the same room at the same time, you're not going to have consistency there. There's never going to be agreement. It's just not going to happen. But this is this tells me that that there was a, a divine it was. Well, mm-hmm. again, it's the Holy Spirit who was moving that thing along, who was directing how these men would write and what they would write. It's a, it's actually, Scott and, and Gabe, it's actually kind of a mystery. It's a mystery just as much as Jesus Christ being man and God together at the same time. I have a master's degree in theology, and I can't claim that I understand all that perfectly. But the Bible does claim to speak God's word. It does. It, claim, it claims to be an accurate reflection of who he is and what he wants for humankind. Um, another question about the Bible. It's, it's a book written by 40 men, as you've said, and it seems to have one, one theme throughout it. Now, there are other books from antiquity, the Iliad yep. yeah, and, and others, you can, you can name them. And the Bible is the most attested to book of all time. There you go. I, I can't. I think the Odyssey, the Odyssey doesn't have like five or six manuscripts. Six or seven. Yeah. yeah, something like and, that. And how many does the Bible have? I know we don't have the exact number, but it's. Oh my gosh, thousands. It's in the thousands. thousands probably ten thousand. The manuscript so the, heavens. Yeah. So it is the most attested to book from antiquity that we have. Now the question is, we've got the book. And even if we agree that it's from God and that it's to man, Gabe, how are we to understand the Bible? How are we, you know, the interpret thing? How are we supposed to interpret the Bible? Christendom has all sorts of different denominations and thoughts about it. And and, Mm -hmm. uh, everybody's got their own idea on how they're supposed to read the Bible and understand it and apply it. How do you do that? Yeah, I'd say ultimately it's to be interpreted literally just like you'd read any other book ever made, <laughs> right? If, a, if an author says one thing, he's going to mean that one thing. When the Bible speaks of creating the world and God creating the world in six simple days, it's six simple days. We don't have to add anything to it. It's not an allegory. It's meant literally. Now, there are plenty of times in scripture where there is a metaphor or an allegory, and that's clearly stated, and that's obvious, right? You look in Psalms, there's going to be plenty of metaphors, right? Because it's poetry. Um, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Gospels, history, that's going to be pretty straightforward, literal. literal. 
and um, it clears up a lot of um, contradictions, clears up a lot of uh, mis- um, misinterpretations nowadays when things are understand literally. And so mm-hmm. I believe that Bible should be understood literally, and that's the best way to understand the Bible. Okay, Gary, how do you teach the Bible method of understanding or interpreting the scriptures? Yeah, I, I know we we had this in seminary and Bible school. Uh, what were you taught, and, and do you believe that? And how do you interpret scripture? Yeah, well, there's a, th- a three step process uh, in mm-hmm. it, in it. Uh, the first thing, first step is observation. You want to know what the text says, um, n- not trying to interpret it yet, but what does it actually read? What are the words? How are the sentences made? Is there is there a pattern going on? Can you find re- repeated words that might be important? These are the, just some of the basic kinds of observations that you want to make before you get into an interpretation stage. Mm-hmm. Too many people skip the observation stage and go right to interpretation, yeah. and that's that can't be done. You can't do that. You'll, you'll get yourself in trouble and you'll get these, what we call fanciful interpretations that uh, read don't fit the, fit the text or a big crime. I think in Bible interpretation is when people pull a verse out of its context to try to make it mean what they want it to mean. You've got to deal proof with texting the, with the right proof texting. Exactly. You've got to deal with the context of the passage. And I can tell you, I could, uh, all kinds of errors that happen uh, with that approach. Mm-hmm. But then you're ready to st- step into the interpretation phase. And we talk about historical grammatical interpretation. What does You have to ask, what does that scripture meant at the time it was written? Not today. And once you've determined how, what, how it was written and what it was written for at the time it was written, then you can apply it now to your current situation. Oftentimes, people jump right to it, uh, abuse verses as well, because they understand it like right in their day first, which got to be understood in the historical context that it was written in. It has to be understood in the grammatical context it was written in. And so it's not an easy task, you know, to interpret uh, scripture properly. But uh, there are methods uh, that we go through that we were taught to take it step by step to try to get it as accurate as possible. In some cases, People don't agree, and uh, but in many cases you'll get it right. It's not a difficult thing to understand. Yeah. So if I can sum up a little bit, yeah, Gabe focused on the literal interpretation of Scripture, and you're focusing on the historical, grammatical, placing it in its proper historical context, whether it's 100 A.D. or 3000 B.C. And we talk about the grammatical. In other words, it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. You have to know the language or some con- some of the way the language was used in the time that it was written. Plus, you also have the context of the scriptures. You have to read before and after to understand what that verse is meaning within the context in which it was written. So, okay, we have all of that. I got, but if I can add one. Yeah, sure. Things, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say, yeah, the observe, observation part is the part that really changed my study of scripture mm-hmm. just because I was taught interpretation, application, right? That's Those are the two most important things. So we're going to skip observation. And when you actually take the time to observe the passage, read it a few times. And another thing that really changed um, my study of scripture is the um, finding, if something's repeated multiple times, you should probably focus on that, right? Especially mm-hmm. I'm studying Philippians right now, the word salvation or deliverance used multiple times. 
Um, there's a verse later in chapter two where it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That could be easily taken out of context if you don't know, hey, mm-hmm. look, earlier in the script, earlier in the book, mm-hmm. it's used in a sanctification way, not a justification way. Um, and that's the other thing is context, right? Context, context, context is something that we need to be teaching everywhere and that we need to be keeping in mind no matter what we're doing, especially with scripture reading is because if you don't have the context of the book, if you don't have context of the verse you're reading, anything can be taken out of context and be really applied to any, like completely applied incorrectly or interpreted incorrectly. And that's where looking at the context in observation is very important. Gary will remember this. I think the most important part of my theological education took place in the lunchroom. And in the lunchroom at Dallas <laughs> Seminary, you'll remember it had three words emblazoned on the wall. It said observation, interpretation, and application. And you have to, you can't ignore any of those steps, I think, what you're saying, to get to the proper understanding of Scripture and how, how and what it means to me today. But you have to go back to what it meant to the original listeners and then apply that to us. Now, there are many different genres in Scripture. We talk about literal interpretation. What's the most problematic area to interpret literally for Bible exegetes, those who study the Scripture? It's it's not the uh, didactic teaching of Scripture, it's, it's probably not the narrative. What, which is the area that's most problematic, Gary? Well, I would say uh, apocalyptic literature, prophecy, prophecy. Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. That's an area that completely gets um, goofed up if you're if you don't follow those same steps. See, the, the problem with prophecy, prophecy, apocalyptic literature, it's it's a lot of figures of speech. And so you have to unwrap those figures of speech, and that can be a more difficult process. Uh, but there's all we've been, we're prepared to study that. And uh, some places, here's what you do with apocalyptic literature, prophecy. If you can understand it plainly as it is written, go for it. If it doesn't make sense to you the way it's written because it's a, an unusual figure, you'll have to try to unwrap that figure. And the way you do that can be from context. The way you do that can be from those figures used in other parts of scripture. Um, but that is a pro- no doubt a more difficult area. You get into trouble though when with that, because for, for example, uh, let me go to uh, uh, the millennium. Six times in Revelation 20, it talks about being a thousand years long. Well, if if it says a thousand years six times, I'm understanding that to be mm-hmm. a thousand mm-hmm. years, not some crazy idea that it it's, means something else. So there are within apocalyptic literature places where you can take it literally and ought to, places where you'll have to figure out what the meaning is, like the beast coming out of the sea, those sort of things. It gets to be kind of tricky. Uh, you could rely on commentary sometimes. Mm-hmm. Now. There's a lot being said about prophecy today, about the end times, about the Lord's return because of what's going on in the culture. Um, many of those within Christendom understand the thousand years allegorically. What does that mean when, it, when we say they understand it allegorically? Yeah, they well, don't, then, then anybody here, you let it mean whatever you want it to mean, mm-hmm. whatever you feel like it. So a thousand years doesn't really mean a thousand years. It can mean 
time. Um, an extended period of time, right? Yeah. Uh, for example, those who believe that that um, in the post-millennial uh, view, they believe that that thousand years can be two thousand years, three thousand years. It's not specified. How can we avoid the mistakes of allegorizing the text if it's not clear? Yeah, I'd say for from what I've learned, and again, I only have a few years of experience, so it's not like I'm speaking from 30, 40 years of experience, mm-hmm. but um, I'm interpreting harder scripture with easier scripture to understand. So like take Revelation, for example, take a look at First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, take a look at Jesus' teaching, what does he say about the end times, and then use that, which is usually pretty clear because Jesus is speaking literally to um, a crowd. First and Second Thessalonians is written specifically to the Thessalonians. Um, that's usually easier to understand. Take that and then apply it to what Revelation or whatever um, maybe metaphor or whatever harder thing to understand and take the easier passages to help interpret the harder passages. Yeah. Gabe, that's really good. You, it's a, it's a principle called letting scripture interpret scripture. Excellent. Okay. For now let's talk about something else. Genesis um, chapters one through seven, you have the creation of the world. And uh, as we know, everyone knows uh, God created in six days. Now, some people take that literally, and some people take it allegorically. Some people take it as a myth. How do you guys understand the creation story? Go, Gabe. Yeah, so I spoke about it before. I understand it literally, right? God didn't create the world in millions of years, right? And that's my, that's my least favorite thing is when people put stuff into scripture that they already believe. So I let's take somebody else, maybe an atheist, for example, they believe in millions of years evolution, maybe even billions of years, right? And they think the science supports it, right? And so they take a look mm-hmm. at scripture, which clearly shows six days, God created it, God spoke, and it was created, right? Well, it seems pretty simple to me, but they take their thing that was supported by the science, my hand's not showing up <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> quote, uh, by the science, and then they're putting it into scripture. And that's like, that's my, one of my least favorite things. Cause the Bible doesn't say that. Right. And then the Bible is supported by scripture. The six day creation is supported by scripture. The flood isn't just some cool event that happened. It's supported by the evidence It's supported by science. If you take a look at the grand Canyon at the layers in the grand Canyon or throughout the earth, you can see specifically that the bottom layers are what you'd expect, right? Sea, sea life, clams, shells, all that stuff that lives at the bottom of the earth. And then as you get higher, you get animals living in higher, like uh, mountain goats or whatever the case, horses, people that have run, ran to higher grounds to expi- uh, escape the flood, right? And then you take a look at the science, you take a look at the evidence, and it actually does support the Bible. But people who come in, maybe atheists or even, even believers that go to public school and are influenced by that, try to um, match it up to the Bible. And that's just not the case. You got to look at this Bible, see what the Bible says, and then look at the science because of your view of the Bible, your worldview of the Bible. Basically, look at the world because of the Bible. Don't look at the Bible because of the world, if that makes sense. Gary, what about the grammar in Genesis 1, Genesis 2? Is there anything that helps us understand God's creative order and whether or not it's a literal seven days or, uh, or you know, what, what is your view on that? Yeah, there, uh, it's very specific. Uh, the when it talks about day one, day two, day three, in the original Hebrew, where the word the num- numbers are used with the day, 
Every time those two, that number with the word day is used together has always meant a literal 24-hour day. In this case, there was evening and there was morning, you know, the next day. So I think the Hebrew does lock that in really well when you understand the number that's being used to modify the day. And it, it always, 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 without exception, means a 24-hour period of time. For Jewish thought, you know, it starts in the evening and goes into the day. So you have the cardinal number with the term yom, Day. Exactly. And and when you look at that word throughout its usages in scripture, it's almost universally used as a 24-hour day period. Now, there are a couple of instances where it's used to cover a longer period of time, but we use that word um, in the same way in English. You know, back in the day uh, when we want to talk about a, a, a longer period of time, but the cardinal number used along with yom for day always means a 24-hour day period. So you're, you're understanding it literally then. Yep. What, about, what about Adam and Eve? Were they real people or were they just figures to teach us something? Oh, Adam and Eve. <laughs> they were the original creation of man. Uh, I believe that God literally created them just the way it says. Um, it was a special creation. Uh, than any of the other animals because it says that God formed a man out of the dust of the ground and he breathed the breath of life in him. That is not said of any other animal that God had made previous to that. And so that makes us a special creation. Of course, Eve was made out of Adam as well. Uh, I see those as being the original parents. I don't see any, any kind of evolutionary processes. Um, one of the things that is very, I find very fascinating is that death did not come to the planet Earth until Adam and Eve sinned, and then that's when the curse happened. If you go with the evolutionary passage, or even the um, the the that God used evolution to uh, create man, uh, death would have happened prior to that. And in the Bible is very clear that death did not happen until Adam and Eve fell, sinning against God. Yeah. Oh, another thing to notice is just something I, I've noticed is that got created on the, um, let's see, created on an earlier day. I think it's day three. God created the vegetation, right? He created plants, right? It, it is day three, right? Day three. Day, and then day four, he created the sun, moon, and stars. Correct. He fills in on, on the day four, five, and six, what he started. One, two, three. Yeah. Yeah. So on Plants are created day three. So let's say take the evolution process, for example. Plants are day three, whether that's a million years. So for a million years, plants were able to survive without the sun being created. Like if you think of that, that, that doesn't make much sense. Well, that, that really brings up another issue is how old the planet is. We're told in every area of life, whether it's a, a National Geographic mm -hmm. or the History Channel or the museums we attend or or any of the any of the programming in the media that we we read, it's always um, a belief that the planet evolved over millions and millions of years, right? Or billions and billions of years, as Carl Sagan used to say. But do do you believe that as a literalist? Do you believe that as a Bible believer? What is your view of how old well the Earth is in in general terms, not in specifics? Yeah, just adding up, adding up the genealogies, adding up all that clearly shows six thousand years. So you go back to the scriptures and you look at the genealogies. 
Yeah, do you agree with that, Gary? What's your what's your understanding or view? Yeah, I, I sure do. It's certainly under ten thousand years, um, uh, for sure. And that takes away. And and there's so much evidence. I mean, when I look at the Grand Canyon, for example, I've been there many times. I see a catastrophe. I see uh, the floodwaters of the Earth just rushing through there, forming this canyon. It mm-hmm. happened perhaps in a period of months. Uh, Mount St. Helens is a clear example of how quick. The geography, the geology can change uh, with a catastrophe. And so, yes, I also hold to the uh, a young earth. And um, I think the scripture is there to prove it. And there's a whole group of, of biblical archaeologists there uh, and, and geologists that work with that. And uh, I've got lots of science books. I have a, a master, I have a, a bachelor's degree in science, so I do a lot of that work. And uh, uh, there's a lot of creationists who are, are scientists and would hold to that short earth view. Right. Um, yeah, I'm with you guys on that. Uh, you know, I, I am right in that general ballpark. I don't have any specific. I don't care if it's 6,000 years or 16,000 years. It's somewhere in that time frame. You know, that the genealogies in Genesis are really hard to figure out where the gaps are and how long the, the um you know, the, the, the time frame lagged. But, uh, you know, what really spoke to me, I, I heard a long time ago, and um, it, it re- really jogged my thinking. Because you, you as you look at the earth today, you see things like the Grand Canyon, which we visited just a couple of years ago. It's an amazing place. And, and you see all the layering, and you see all of the um, um, biologists and, and uh, those who study the earth coming up with their own understanding of it. But if you go back to the book of Genesis, how were Adam and Eve created? Were they created as babies or were they created as adults with the appearance of age? Yeah. Certainly, if God can make Adam and Eve, I assume somewhere in their 20s or 30s or something like that, they certainly weren't children, infants or babies. Um, He can create the earth with age. And what a better way to make people think deeply about who God is in his creative order and to sort of fool you <laughs> with the way that earth looks from the understanding that man has. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I actually I do. I'm going to jump in right away. Mm-hmm. Um, so how many rings did the trees have that were created in the garden of Eden? Right. You know, that kind of a thing. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a criticism of that view too, though, that God deliberately uh, tricked us. What kind of a God would do that? You know, kind of a thing. And uh, so they, they kind of tur- turn that around on YouTube, mm-hmm. but there, there's no doubt. Um, everything that was in that garden was made to look like it was a lot older than it really was. But I don't see that. See, well, I'm not, not, I'm not trying to limit God, but I don't think God had much of a choice because he had to put everything together in such a way, in such a short time, that it was immediately livable by human beings. That it was everything was immediately available. So the fruit was on the trees already. And we know it would take a season for fruit to grow, but it was already there. So I, I think that's just the way it had to be. And he's not trying to be a fool us on it. Yeah. And I'd say for the l- length of the earth, a lot of people refer to carbon dating or another dating like that. Right. Like that is so, so unreliable. Like it's, it's unbelievable. Like you take Mount St. Helens, for example, right? These, these trees that were just co- covered a day ago, right? A, a week ago. And you date them and they're millions of years old. And it's like the carbon dating is so unreliable. You have no idea how much carbon 
these creatures or these plants started with in the beginning. And now you are inferring and you don't know the rate at which carbon decays, right? We, we don't know that. We don't, we haven't observed it for mil- millions of years with, from what they say. We don't know how fast carbon decays. And especially during the flood, carbon would decay even faster, right? And so we, we don't know that. And now we're inferring that, hey, this, this tree that was just washed over by Mount St. Helens a week ago is a million years old. It just shows how unreliable carbon dating actually is. Yeah, it assumes something called fancy gizmo word here, uniformitarianism, mm-hmm. which is that everything's always been the way it's been, and that's a that's a uh, that's not necessarily uh, true. As well. It's not. Yeah, it's a fallacy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we have this book. We love this book. It's a love letter written to us from God. We believe the three of us that it's a literal book written to literal men. And that it's about literal events. So we we interpret it, we understand it literally, historically, grammatically, and in context. And we try to apply the book as it was written to us in our lives today, which is a it's it's not an easy task. It's really easy to come to know the Lord. It's another thing to live for him effectively and efficiently. So, so I wanted to just kind of wrap this up here and um ask you guys if you had anything else you wanted to talk about or mention until our next podcast in which we will discuss a specific book in about a month and a half. And uh, that book will be related to understanding the scriptures and and how to apply it to your personal life. Anything you wanted to throw in or say? Yeah. So our plan is, are we going to record a podcast next week or we're going to wait a little bit on that until after you get back from your trip? Yes. Wait till you get back. Okay, cool. So this is kind of an introduction episode, right? We're just getting getting to know how this technology works, how we're going to do this. Um, From what I see, it's working out pretty well. So we'll get out a new podcast in about a month and a half. Um, Enjoy this podcast. Again, we're new to this, so um, bear with us. Bear with us on that. Um, Other than that, the main focus of this podcast, I guess, would be reviewing, or for now, is reviewing um, books about the book, right? Whether that's from a free grace perspective, or maybe we'll read some Calvinist books or Arminian books Mm -hmm. or Books maybe we don't agree with or books that we do agree with. We'll, we'll review them, um, let you guys know how they are, whether they're mm-hmm. worth a read or whether they're not worth a read. Um, and that's kind of the purpose of this podcast from what I see from here. Yeah, I believe all three of us, and Gary, you can speak to this, are coming from a dis- classic dispensationalist point of view. We understand um, salvation as from the free grace perspective. In other words, that God gives us a gift of eternal life. We don't do any works to earn it. And that we understand that the whole Bible is relevant and applicable to our lives today, not just the New Testament and not just the Old Testament, but that it must be understood in a progressive sense as well, progressively revealed to mankind. And God has the same message that is salvation is for all men and that you come to know him by accepting the free gift. Gary? Yeah. The one thing, uh, another thing I, that I was, I'm always about, amazed about the Bible, I, I can't mm-hmm. tell you how many times I've read it, studied it, te- taught it, preached it. But there's something about it that mm-hmm. when I approach a passage that I've seen maybe a dozen times, and then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. wow, I never saw that. Hmm. The light goes on. It's like, yeah, that is the illumination Mm -hmm. aspect. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, illuminating the text for you, shining the light on the text so that what I'm reading, that's how I know this book is living and active. 
and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a it's a dynamic text that doesn't that's not on its own. So that my experiences and my time uh, with the scripture changes over time, and God reveals something else that I never saw before. I always find that to be amazing. That's never true of reading any other book. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why it's divinely inspired and written by God. Yep. All right. We want to thank you for being with us on our inaugural podcast about the book. And I want to say thanks to both Gary and Gabe for joining us. And uh, we'll see you next time. Yep. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. <laughs> Adios. <laughs> <laughs>